Some, someone asked me if I could explain uh, what non-dual means. Um, so, you know, what, what do you mean when we're using that term? So I'll, I'll just give a brief explanation of that. Um, so non-dual um, is uh, an expression that refers to an approach to um, uh, spiritual freedom, realizing spiritual freedom, in which um, the, there is a, a beginning, we begin by understanding that we are that, we are that universal being, that allness, everythingness, um, no thingness, that we're not a particular thing, a separate self. Um, that that nothing we we can experience uh, can take us away from that truth. Nothing that we can do or say uh, can remove us from that truth. We may we may be asleep to that truth. Um, we may uh, live in a dream or a nightmare uh, which separates us from uh, realizing that. So, um, so, so in most spiritual practices, uh, including a lot of Buddhist practices, Buddhism is a non-dual uh, teaching, and um, the the term non-dual actually derives from the Advaita Vedanta tradition, um, which uh, comes out of that body of teaching that we roughly call Hinduism. Um, the uh, a modern teacher of non-dual truth is Ramana Maharshi. Uh, and um, and he has a whole uh, lineage, many of whom are Westerners now teaching the non-dual. Um, most spiritual traditions, uh, although they may have a non-dual um, heart, essence, uh, will be taught in a way that uh, communicates that somehow we have to become different, we have to do certain practices, you know, we, we have to um, become more this and less that. There's no denying that developing um, skill, uh, virtue, love brings us more into um, a, uh, a congruence with non-dual reality because when we express love when we express generosity 
and ethics, we are living in congruence with the truth the, that we are, we are everyone. When I harm you, I harm myself. When I harm myself, I harm the world. Um, there is no separation. The problem is that so many of us think that that's the goal, is to become, you know, a, a better person. Um, and it stops there. And, and that, you know, we're... So, so the, the realization of, of this wholeness, this, that we are that, we are God, we are the ground of being. Uh, this, this is um, forgotten or not communicated, especially as religions become institutionalized. And, um, uh, you know, we can see it in, in every tradition, including Buddhism. Um, I think in personally, I think that in Buddhism, the the non-dual teachings are a lot more clear and apparent than they are in some of the the other traditions. Like for many years, I I um, I was a Christian, and um, uh, and I became. Uh, Kind of, kind of. I felt like I, I hit a wall in that spirituality, even though I knew that the truth of it was uh, a non-dual teaching. So, um, I'm I'm tending not to use the expression non-dual so much anymore. When I planned this retreat, I was using it. Uh, so I'm I'm tending to use uh, you know other words that point to um, point to what I've, I've just expressed. So um, so I'd like to talk a little bit uh, in uh, today about uh, in this uh, in what I'm going to offer um, about. What keeps us from recognizing this uh, this reality that we are we are life itself that we are interconnected that we are um, uh, we are ultimate truth that that's that's who we truly are in our in our essence and that. The manifestation of life that we are is already uh, perfect. <clears throat> so there are different factors of mind that are pointed to, and I'm go- I'm going to shift gears a little bit um, and move into a bit more conceptual mode. Um, there are different uh, factors of mind that are are talked about in the Dharma teachings of the Buddha. Um, and, um, 
And one of the key factors that he talks about is perception. So perception is used as all terms in Buddhism are used uh, in, a, in a quite precise way. Uh, so co- perception is the capacity of the mind to recognize the distinctive marks of an object and, and it's, it's very closely associated with the faculty of memory. So, so for example, um, when we were learning language, we learned that the object that many of you are sitting on is called a chair. Um, or chez, uh, if you speak French, or another word in another language. But we we learn a word that's associated with that object, and it and we recognize that there are certain marks of a chair. Now, what we're what we're um, describing in this room is a very simple object, but you could recognize a, a carved wooden object with four legs shaped similarly and you would know immediately it was a chair. So so that's an example of perception. Um, so it, it names, identifies, classifies, discriminates, um, and categorizes experiences. And so perception is very useful because it helps the mind to recognize forms. Um, so, uh, so th- through the so the through the visual sense, we recognize forms. We see forms through the ear. We hear sounds, and we recognize sounds. You know, so we'll name the mind. Will name you know a bird, or an airplane, or a dog barking. So. So some people have very uh, developed perceptions and really develop their perceptions. So some people will hear a bird and they'll think a robin or a cardinal, you know, or um, or swallow. Uh, uh, you know, this ear hears. You know, I can distinguish between a crow and a songbird, but not much uh, beyond that. But people um, can actually take great pride in how they develop their perceptions. So an artist may look at a painting and and see you know all the different colors and will um, uh, will see oh you know this is this shade you know so ochre and um, and you know some other raw umber and you know different shades and and will will name all of these different tones and and colors and so on. And so we, you know, there are people who do this with tastes like gourmet um, gourmets who have you know really subtle distinguishing of the tongue and and uh, you know um, people who are wine experts and so on. So so there. There can be um, a, a feeling of pleasure in in these uh, in these d- the development of perception um, until we you know we can develop you know it, the the pitfall is that 
that many of us develop a sense of self around it, you know. So, uh, I, you know, this is this is my expertise, and so on. So, um, so as soon as we are developing a sense of self around it, uh, we're um, we're moving into, you know, I'm better than, and I am so skilled, and and. Um, and oh, I and then we can feel threatened. Oh, I wonder if somebody else is better than me, or maybe I won't be able to, you know, say the right thing. So, uh, so as soon as we're building a, a sense of self around our perceptions, we're um, we're into stress and suffering. Um, perception also colors our experience because perceptions are conditioned by the past. So, so uh, perhaps uh, in one's life, you know, one had a very unpleasant teacher, you know, maybe in third grade or something, and, you know, it was, uh, and she had gray hair that was tied up in a bun. And uh, actually, I had a teacher with gray hair tied up in a bun, and she was my favorite teacher, <laughs> Mrs. Bingley. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, you know, maybe there's an unpleasant association. And so, so the perception gets formed that, you know, oh, women, elderly women with gray hair tied up in a bun, you know, they're not very nice. Or, or they are very nice, you know. So it's 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 a perception, and it it becomes a barrier to our uh, engaging with a fresh mind, fresh eyes, an open heart, with this this uh, gray-haired woman. So um, so it's. it, so this can be a, a distortion, um, which, which um, can lead us into, uh, you know, more misunderstanding, suffering, and so on, causing suffering to somebody, perhaps. So uh, we become we become attached and identified with our perceptions. Perceptions can can um, develop into beliefs. And so, um, so, uh, so since whatever is manifesting in the world is impermanent, um, and perceptions uh, may be static, or our perception may be influenced by our emotional state at a particular time. Um, if we hold on to our perceptions as being true or being our self, you know, um, we're going to come to grief in some way. <clears throat> so, so when perception arises and there's no mindfulness, there's no, there's no, you know, presence, attention in the moment. 
um, we're seeing only the surface of things. So, you know, uh, say I walk into the office and I see um, Mary, you know, the, my uh, colleague at work, and, and, this, and the perception is, oh, there's Mary. And I say, good morning, Mary. And I walk past her and I sit down at my desk. Um, you know, I may not notice that Mary looks tired, <coughs> sad, sick, joyful, particularly beautiful. Um, I'm not seeing who Mary is in this moment. I'm just glossing over Mary um, and uh, not really taking in the reality of, you know, who she is right now. Um, another, another perception that is very common is um, around ownership. So we think, um, we think, you know, I own, this is, this is mine, this piece of land is mine, you know, this, um, uh, this item of, of clothing is mine, uh, this, this uh, iPad is mine, and um, and so you know, we have this sense of somehow it's connected to me. Well, um, that's that's a common way uh, in our society of of understanding objects and their relationship to us. I remember one of the first retreats I I, I went to at the Insight Meditation Society, and. Um, and Joseph Goldstein was talking about um, his experience practicing in India. And he, and he had this little radio that he brought over with him. And, uh, and he, uh, you know, he, he just, you know, took it around with him and uh, occasionally would listen to it. And I guess he left it, you know, by his, by in a place that he thought was safe, and, uh, and it disappeared. And, um, uh, and so he, he said in the talk, he said, you know, and I was really, really upset. Um, and, and then I figured out that the reason what, that I was upset was because I thought it belonged to me. And... Um, and that really bothered me. I thought, what do you mean you thought you belonged to you? Of course it belonged to you. It's your radio. You bought it. You... And, um, and it took me a long time to realize that, you know, there's nothing that we can cling to as, as mine. You know, according to the social rules, of our society, it's wrong to steal, and but 
But it's not, there's nothing intrinsically me or mine about anything that, you know, I use, I, I wear. <clears throat> and the idea that we own, that we own a piece of land, of course, created a lot of misunderstanding when Europeans came over and they encountered the native people who had a very different understanding about how we live with the earth and on the earth. And, uh, and they understood perhaps that they would share the use of the earth. They didn't understand until maybe it was too late that, that the Europeans had this idea that, well, it's mine. And that means it belongs to me alone, so you get off. So, um, so these this way of perception can really shape the way we engage with life. And um, uh, and so we, it's important to understand perception. We need perceptions. I mean, we want to know that a chair is a chair. Um, is water is water self is it is this water myself well I mean if you saw a, a, a jug of water on a table you would say no it's not myself at what point does it become myself, you know, food, air. So we have this perception of self as, um, as first of all, existing in time and being constant in time because I remember being a child. I remember that I lived somewhere, that was me that, that lived there. You know, so, so because we can remember something, or because we can project into the future with our imagination, and we can say, and we say, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to move to um, France. And uh, so we imagine that we are going to move to France. But the person who moves to France is not the person who decides. It's not to say there's no continuity, there's some continuity, but there is, uh, there is also a... Uh, a, a kind of um, a flow, a process of change. Where it's not the same. You know, I'm I'm not the same me that arrived here on Thursday afternoon. So, so we um, we have so much identity, so much attachment 
to this perception of self. And, and it really is the, the essential thing that keeps us from realizing um, who we truly are, our, our inherent freedom, our inherent boundlessness, uh, the, the boundlessness of love that we are. So, so what we have been doing in our practice is um, is bringing our practice to this spacious awareness and uh, the the uh, approach that I have been encouraging is to stay grounded in the body because our our minds are so full of stories of self stories of who I am stories of of who I was who I want to be um, stories of what I prefer and and what I dislike stories of you know projecting how others are seeing me and um, and taking that to be true. So perception can come into um, our into play as we as we bring our attention into the body, but the perceptions are less fixed in a story. They may, we, we may have a sense of something being, you know, a, um, a painful perception, a, a painful experience, or, or we may judge a sensation in the body as something that we like or we don't like or we want or we don't want or it's good or it's bad. <clears throat> but because sensations are so fluid and, uh, and because they are not um, so connected to words, it's easier to, to work, work with them. They're more, they're more workable. Um, of course, we begin you know, to also look at the mind. Um, and, and we see, we begin to see that, that the thoughts that we have believed in so strongly are arising selflessly. They're arising from causes and conditions. They're not mine. They're not me. <clears throat> Did you ever decide to think something? Thoughts just come into the mind. So you may say, okay, I'm going to decide to think about an elephant. You know, so, so 
Where did that decision come from? So, so when we begin to really examine the flow of experience in the body, in the mind, we see that um, that these experiences are are selfless. Uh, so they're they're passing. They're arising, passing away. We don't need to reject them. We don't need to control them or repress them. No. When we're attuned to the the body, you know, we we begin to recognize which which thoughts, which emotions bring us toward happiness and which brings bring us toward stress and suffering. It's something that we learn through, through our practice. And it happens, it, it unfolds. We don't need to, we don't need to, um, you know, strive and strive. We just need to keep showing up. Showing up in this moment, showing up in our practice. We just need to make that commitment to be present in, um, in each moment of experience. <clears throat> so maybe I can... Um, Instead of talking more, maybe I can invite. I'd like to invite uh, questions or um, or responses to these ideas that I've presented. How do you uh, how do you engage with these? Could could you relate? Uh Maybe more closely, how the concepts that you've just expressed are associated with or relate to the three portals that you mentioned. So, um, <coughs> three portals uh, that um, John is referring to is are um, uh, the uh, stillness and uh, silence and spaciousness. So these these portals are um, are entries into uh, into um, an unconditioned awareness, a simple presence, uh, in which we're not identifying as a self. So so when we are um, attending to stillness, we're recognizing that all movement, all action, all activity is arising in the context of stillness. So stillness within, stillness without. There's no difference, there's no ultimate boundary between the stillness that is present in the body and on the earth, in the air, um, 
all around us. So that stillness brings us into uh, a, an, a, a more expanded um, uh, presence. You know, out of this, you know, I'm doing this, I'm lifting my hand, I'm, you know, uh, walking. So we're, we're finding stillness within us, around us. Silence. So silence, all of the sound that we hear arises in silence and is permeated by silence. So even, even sound like, like uh, the song of a bird, you know, if we listen very, very carefully, there's silence right, right within it. Uh, and it arises from and, and um, returns to silence and, um, and space. So all form, all manifestation arises and returns to space and, and manifests within space and, and the space within us, the space around us. So, so we begin to, this, this, this sense of boundary of I am this thing, this object, begins to break down. Another beautiful um, contemplation is uh, the contemplation of the four elements. It's, um, it's one of my favorite contemplations. So, uh, this the four elements is is a is a an ancient um, uh, way of thinking about totality. So, earth, uh, fire, water, and air, um, and so. So one of the contemplations that the Buddha taught in the discourses on, on mindfulness was you know, to contemplate the elements within the body and outside the body. And so we recognize that, that the warmth of the body is the energy of the sun, you know, because we've taken in, we've ingested that energy in the form of vegetables or animals and its body transmutes it back into uh, that fire of the sun you know the the air within the body you know breathing in breathing out when you know this breath is this is this in breath is this me you know is it not no as I breathe out is it not me you know where we share the breath uh, with everyone, with the, and the, we breathe out carbon dioxide. The plants breathe it in and breathe out oxygen. So there's a breathing in, breathing out, you know, of all the world. And uh, and water, the water that we drink, is the same water that was uh, drunk and and uh, excreted by the earliest forms of life. So. Um, so these contemplations really bring us into uh, an immediate um, connection with the truth, you know, that we're not this self, you know, that we take ourselves to be, that we, um, we have so invested in uh, 
you know, our comfort and our happiness, and, you know, and and of course, um, I don't want to speak categorically. There are many acts of love and generosity and and uh, and um, uh, giving of ourselves and and. Uh, and resonating with compassion and empathy that that we experience that um, that really are an expression of our interconnectedness with um, and and that we are life that we are not separate um, and yet there is this core belief you know that I'm this uh, and so we we examine that and we see how this clinging uh, to self is what keeps us from um, from realizing uh, the freedom and the love and the joy that we are. So it doesn't mean that, you know, when I wake up from this dream of separateness that I you know, I start, you know, feeding somebody else instead of feeding myself dinner. You know, I forget, you know, the relative reality that, you know, that I need to put my socks on my these feet, not those. Uh, so, um, so of course, you know, we... We remember that, but 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 there's a way in which that holding to that belief dissolves. Thank you. Any other questions? Yes. Yeah. Um, how is it uh, possible? So, if you're talking about uh, relative um, reality, and then we have the absolute reality. So. Um, would you say that it's possible to lean constantly, permanently, in the absolute reality that, that means there's no sense of the self at all? Mm. Um, in our society, I mean, yeah, I don't think the so. All no. The no, there's we can we can we can open to that. The mind, heart, being opens to that, and is transformed by it um, and and then we you know we have to go to the bathroom and in eat our breakfast and and uh, feed the dog you know so 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 we we can live I think with a deep sense of uh, connection so that you know, we recognize that somebody's pain is our own. That some that that somebody's loss or or the exploitation of somebody is not a distant um, kind of event that doesn't touch us. Uh, so I think that we can live in that deep connection. But there is we wouldn't, you know, there's a balance that needs to be found and, and, and engaging in this world is engaging, you know, as somebody, 
um, you know, like Catherine engages in this world in a way that is an expression of, you know, your talents and and your interests and your your creativity, and uh, and it's not it's not what I could do, um, and uh, and so you know, and so Daryl engages in this world in ways that that uh, flow naturally from from my predispositions, perhaps genetic predispositions, perhaps and and certainly cultural and you know upbringing factors and all the ways that uh, all the ways that I was formed and shaped as a human being can you elaborate on um, when, when you say being able to to relate to someone's pain and feel someone's pain like because I've heard that before and uh, I, I can relate to it. I can see how someone is maybe in pain, but how, I think the way you're describing it is a little bit different. The word compassion is uh, uh, points to an experience of um, uh, attunement, and um, the Buddha described compassion as uh, the the quivering of the heart in um, in resonance to. You know somebody's suffering. So, so compassion is um, is a a willingness to to stay connected. You know to not turn away because when we are uh, observing or present with somebody who's who's hurting, uh, sometimes you know we don't want to stick around, either physically or maybe emotionally, you know, we want to withdraw. And, um, and, and so compassion is something that really calls forth something from us, and it's, uh, I, th- I think compassion requires uh, connection and uh, um, an open heart and and a kind of fearlessness to be with uh, someone. So, um, so yeah, that's what I'm that's what talking about. Um, you know, when you were, you were talking in your talk about uh, showing up in the moment and commitment uh, to being in the moment, as opposed to just getting caught up in that crazy tangle of thoughts and yeah. past future. Yeah. Yeah. And just start just letting that go and Right. Coming be, back and being present to your breath or your body or whatever. To the body, to yeah, to the sensitivity of being present with uh, whatever is emerging right now. So let's um let's Take just a couple of minutes to come back to silence and um, uh, and being respectful of uh, the cook's request that we not be late. Just just um, taking a couple of minutes.
Actually, I'm going to read a poem. It's a poem by Hafiz, um, a 14th century Persian poet. There is a game we should play, and it goes like this. We hold hands and look into each other's eyes and scan each other's face. Then I say, now, tell me a difference you see between us. And you might respond, Hafiz, your nose is ten times bigger than mine. Then I would say, yes, my dear, almost ten times. But let's keep playing. Let's go deeper. Go deeper. For if we do, our spirits will embrace and interweave. Our union will be so glorious that even God will not be able to tell us apart. There is a wonderful game we should play with everyone. And it goes like this. <laughs>